is Ava and I'm here with another episode of Currently Binging, the podcast about all things TV and movies. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Make sure you hit that subscribe button or whatever platform you're listening to my voice on. Also, take a few extra seconds, rate, comment, all that greatly appreciated. So yes, let's get into this. I have been excited for the finale of this so that I can talk about it because y'all know this is my judge <laughs> 100%. So, and it was hit on all kinds of levels. Let me just tell you, like the genre, the actor, uh, acting across the board, the amount of episodes in the season it would have been even perfect if it was like a binge thing, but I was like, oh, it's only six episodes, which I could think of like Peaky Blinders, which is usually generally like, generally about six or seven episodes. And I binge that and then I'm like, oh, I watched that too fast. But I don't know. I'm on the fence of if I prefer this in a weekly format or in a binge format. But you know, I didn't really have a problem with the weekly format just because it is a short season. But in case you did not read the title before clicking on this, we are discussing HBO's The Undoing. Is it The Undoing or is it just Undoing? The Undoing. Because, <laughs> you know, we like to take our um, words out of things. So <laughs> this was interesting to watch because, one, created by David E. Kelly, who I realized in watching this that I watch a lot of content um, of his and they all have like the similar stylings that you're just like, this is something from David E. Kelly, like Dick Little Lies, trying to watch Big Sky. I'll let y'all, y'all will know when we get to finales if that still persists. <laughs> but like all those shows have similar um, tones to them. It was something else I was recently watching. I was like, oh my gosh, this is David E. Kelly too. And you know it's him because he has the very distinct like... Um, logo for his name so I was just like okay this should be interesting because you guys know I love Big Little Lies I um have watched or I watched it but I also read the book and also <laughs> I will say that um I should forewarn, I should say, that this is not your typical podcast. <laughs> I feel like I have to say this every time because, you know, people just do not read the show descriptions. <laughs> but this is not your typical uh, TV show podcast. We're not super elevated or sophisticated, or at least I'm not. <laughs> so this is not going to be a linear discussion. I have the mind of... A, I don't even know what I can compare my mind to, but we are going to jump all over the place. So you're just going to have to strap in, buckle up and follow along because we can take any turn anywhere. This is also a show that is full of, or full of podcasts, full of spoilers. So if you have not watched this, you should not listen to this. I do. I do. If I have read the book, I will spoil the book. I did not even know this was a book and therefore I did not read this book. So, um, therefore you will not know, or I will not spoil anything in a book. Apparently the book is entitled should have known better 
or no, is this what the book is called? I don't know. That's what's showing up when I Googled um, the book, the undoing book. And it comes up as you should have known or you should have known better. No, as you should have known, because there's another one that's showing up in the same. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I didn't read the book, so you don't have to worry about me spoiling the book for those who have fine fault in being spoiled by a show that is based on a book that essentially has all the same content. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's get into this. You guys know anything that's weekly, I generally do not take notes on. Um... So that is, for the most part, the case for this. I have found myself um, taking many one-off notes for some of this stuff just because I've talked about this um, exhaustively in previous episodes because of the pandemic. You guys thought I was scatterbrained before. I'm even more scatterbrained, so I have been finding myself just writing one-off notes for things that I'm like, by the time I go in actually discuss this on the podcast I want to make sure I remember that so I did do that for this it's only a couple and even in doing that when I was sitting here and I was looking at it, I was like what does this even mean <laughs> so I mean I don't know we're gonna have to figure it out um but that's neither here nor there so the undoing I was like you guys know or if you don't know you're gonna find out that I love like thriller, mystery, anything that makes my brain have to work. I just enjoy um, watching that, but also reading that. If you've been here for a while, you know, I usually every year give myself a goal of a certain amount of books to read. It's usually either 40 or 50 books. It depends on how I'm feeling by the time January rolls around and what I think is realistic based on how um, I ended the previous year. Not gonna lie, this year has been complete crapola um and it's been complete crapola because we've been a pandemic and I just I don't know about you guys I lost my motivation to read once the pen like once shelter in place started and FIM in California so we were the first place to go into um shelter in place and once that started because I was on a roll but once I started I just could not focus on reading and I have not read anything in a few months. This is probably the longest that I have gone without reading a book in years. So my goal this year, this year was 40 books. I've only read 12 and it is December. So <laughs> there you go. I'm feeling some type of way about it and I'm trying not to force, force or panic read like for the rest of December because I would literally do that because I could read a book in a day. But we're not going to do that. We're going to hold steady and hold still because I still just do not feel motivation to read but I will be doing another um book go next year but that's not what this is about I said that all that to say <laughs> when it comes to books I generally for the most part read a lot of mystery type thrillery books that essentially the undoing would fall into so like Big Little Lies is something that I've read before I do read some of the young adult stuff but not a lot of it it honestly really depends on if the synopsis even pulls me in and so because I read a lot of this stuff but not only do I read a lot of this stuff I watch a lot of similar things I feel like I'm pretty good at guessing 
what the end result is going to be. Because it's usually, generally, <laughs> the same across the board. And a lot of times in the um, TV shows, I'm like, usually you know, like, you have seen the killer in the first episode. You may not know who the killer is, but generally for the most part. It's more so for those cases where it's not as obvious. You usually see the killer in the first episode. This, I was like, there are only three possible outcomes. And this is also, because I was complaining about this, and I think that's why I also got um, frustrated with how, um, or not really frustrated, but just was not feeling motivated to read because a lot of the books I was reading, it started to seem like they all were kind of like the same scenarios where you have this unreliable um, narrator who went through some type of a trauma where they lost their memory or something along those lines. And so you can't, or they were drunk and had a blackout moment and you can't really trust their memory or their retelling of the story. And so it's just a bunch of muddled, muddledness that you're going through until you get to the end where it finally reveals what actually happened. And it was just, I feel like for the past at least two years, a lot of books have been along those same lines. And The Undoing was heavily giving me that feeling of this muddled, unre muddled narrative, unreliable narrator, or, or in this case, unreliable protagonist. And we just really could not, who is Grace, who is played by, um, also, we're going to get into this. So it was also played by Nicole Kidman. Actually, I told you guys, acting across the board was just like phenomenal. But we had Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant, which I was sitting there, I was like, I actually watched a lot of Hugh, because like when I see, when I see Hugh, Grant, Hugh Grant, I'm thinking of like, um, what's that movie? Notting Hill or like 90s movies, things like that. I feel like I haven't really seen a lot of Hugh Grant lately or recently. But we also had like Edgar Ramirez, um, Lily Lily Rabe, which you guys know, I be sometimes I mess up people's names and I don't do it on purpose. So forgive me if pronunciations are not right. Uh, Donald Sutherland, which I was like, looking at him, I was like, oh my gosh. His son just looks like he literally spit him out. Kiefer Sutherland just looked like he just was like, I'm going to have a son and spit him out. And <laughs> that's what his son is. They look so much alike. It is freakishly freaky. But um, also Noah Jupe, which I was like, the kid looks familiar, but I don't know what I've seen him in and it's really frustrating me. And so when I was looking on IMDb and I was looking at the um, the names, I was like, Noah Jupe, Noah Jupe, Noah Jupe. And I was like, why does that name seem familiar? Like I've said it before. And so I was like, looking at his IMDb, I'm just like, some of the stuff I don't even think I really, I don't think I've really seen. But then I saw a wonder. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what it is. Because I did discuss Wonder when that movie first came out. And I talked about him because he played the little friend. And I was like, oh my gosh, it, it was like the, the cutest little. So I was like, okay, that's the mind does crazy things. It will remember there are things that will be like sticky in your brain, like sludge, and you'll forget about it. And then one thing will kind of like make the sludge move around and it's just like where did that come from so that was completely random but i thought he was great in this and then i was like oh my gosh i'm freaking old because i wonder they were in what 
second grade. They were young. And now he's playing a 12-year-old. And then in real life, he's like 15. I'm like, oh my gosh, time is moving way too fast. But that's the acting. So, or the, the actors um, in this. So we get into this and I'm just like, okay, we're going to, we're going to this knowing that Grace is not a reliable um, protagonist, if you will. And I don't, I know that whatever we see from her perspective is probably going to be created to make it seem like she is guilty in some way, but she is not guilty. So immediately, Grace was never really a suspect for me. In, in TV, you never really know. Again, I didn't read this book, so I have no clue what happens in the book. But in TV, you never really know because a lot of times they'll change like the endings or try to make it a little more shocking. And you guys know, that's always my hope. I would prefer you to do give me the most shocking, non, um, what's the word? Non-familiar verdict versus giving me the same old, same old. And so you could argue that Grace being the killer of Elena. So essentially what happens is we're introduced to Grace, Jonathan, Henry, like cute upper echelon type of a family come from money and uh grace is um introduced to this woman elena super weird off the gate i don't know how y'all are set up but how i'm set up elena probably would have got elbowed a couple of times just because i felt like she had no awareness of personal space or awareness of how she was affecting other people i don't know i just I could be the only one, <laughs> but those types of things really irritate me. Like people who are not aware of personal space, but then also people who are not aware of not really how their actions impact people, but like, they're just not self-aware. There we go. They're not self-aware in specific situations. Not, it doesn't have to be all situations, but like very specific situations, situations, especially more intimate situations where it's like you and one other person or maybe you and like a couple of other people. So like the scene where she's breastfeeding when she goes to, what were they, like the PTA or whatever the little the little um, fundraising committee <laughs> was when she goes there and she's breastfeeding at a table. No issue with that because like breastfeeding is natural. You should be able to breastfeed your child regardless of where you are. But when you're in the locker room and she comes up to Grace and she's fully naked and you can clearly see that Grace feels uncomfortable, which I guess you can be like, well, then that's Grace's um, like problem that she feels uncomfortable in that situation. But then it's also like you could tell, at least I got it immediately that Elena was doing it on purpose. So like, that's the kind of thing that I'm like, that's where you probably would have got an elbow. <laughs> from me I'm just saying and when I say you get an elbow like elbow in the throat <laughs> maybe in the facial area I'm not a violent person but I'm just saying I really have an issue with people not respecting personal space it's just it's really frustrating so so we're introduced to her she's acting weird and her interactions are very weird from the gate and then essentially we go to the fundraiser 
she goes off she's crying you don't really know what's going on with her it's all just very much weird again this is only six episodes so we're talking like the first the first um the first episode yeah that all this is happening in and then um you have all that happening then she has a moment in the elevator where she ends up kissing grace and i'm just like what is going what I was getting frustrated. Because I was like, what is the purpose of this character? Like, we need to get this moving. What's happening? And then not even thinking about the husband could potentially be um, sleeping with her, which I think they very heavy handedly hinted to that. And you see it in retrospect as you're moving through the um, season because like the moment where she's breastfeeding the baby, like, and she has her boobs out. And even uh, the friend Sylvia commented on that, but it was like, Again, a lot of the things that Elena did was on purpose and was intentional, intentional, like breastfeeding the baby at the um, table, like to show her youth and that she and that she has this baby and unbeknownst to Grace, this baby is her husband's child, which I'm like, oh my gosh. That's why I say this a lot every time I talk about some of these shows. It could not be me because... <laughs> I probably would not have murdered her, but like, it could not have been me. Cause it was just, she's, she was manipulative in a way as well. I don't know. Elena's as a character is just so frustrating to me. But you have that, you have the whole like cornering her and isolating her and the, um, the gym, like following her around, like in hindsight, we know why she was, but like you see that you're like, again, she was doing it on purpose. And then even the whole like elevator scene, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this girl. So I think that was all those all. And even that whole conversation when she shows up to the fundraiser in this deep plunging dress with like her boobs propped up and all the men are like circling her. And then one of them, one of the women commented on it. Like, oh, all the guys and the husbands are flocking around her. I was like, that was also kind of a hint that she was most, she was <laughs> messing around with Jonathan because she just seemed to only focus on Grace and was seemed very, um, at first, initially, before you find out, like, her relationship and connection is like, it seems like she's very much intrigued or, um, what's another word? If you're not intrigued, uh... I can't think of the word right now, but she seemed very much intrigued by Grace and you just did not understand why or focused or, I don't know, maybe it'll come to me later. But then when we find out, and then Jonathan, cause he was also frustrating as well. He comes off immediately as manipulative. And I think it was hard for me to not take him off of my suspect list at all. Like I never, I told you guys, I went into this. I had three possible scenarios. I should probably tell you those scenarios before we keep going. I had three possible scenarios and I'll tell you why I had these three possible scenarios outside of just reading and watching a lot of things like this. And it always ends up one of these three ways. But these are the three people who are always on my suspect list. Jonathan, Sylvia, and Henry, I think the more shocking to 
the audience and not necessarily to me would have been for it to be Henry. I don't think it logically made sense for it to have been Henry, but I think that would have been a great like diversion from it being Jonathan if we wanted to do that. I think it also would have been not really shocking, but we're going to get into this. It was a lot of little like nuggets that they left throughout the show around Sylvia that to me, they never really closed the loop on. And in hindsight, after everything finished out, everything prior to um, season five or season five, episode six, how did I even get that? I don't even know. But everything prior to episode six, so one through five, every time we saw Sylvia, they it was this hint of like there was something else there, something deeper, some additional layer that they were trying to peel back a little bit and they didn't really want to peel it back all the way and they were going to give us more at the end. Like it felt like we were always waiting for this big payoff for her, like these zoomed in moments on her face or like even showing us her in the scene for some reason. It's like, but why? It doesn't really make sense. There was even a moment when Jonathan is talking to his lawyer um, initially and she's like okay I need to know everything was this your only affair have you um, slept with anyone else and he said oh yeah there was one other person but he never says who that person is and in my mind immediately I don't know I told you guys maybe it's because I just don't be trusting people like that but I immediately was like Sylvia must be the other person that he slept with because also she knew about um, Elena I don't think I don't think she knew that it was Elena specifically, but she knew that um, Jonathan had gotten fired or let go for from his job because he reached out to her to help him with that whole situation. So that to me was also suspects. I felt like they were just laying a lot of bricks there, but they never like what's the stuff that they that you put on the bricks to connect them. They never put the glue down. <laughs> to keep the um to keep the bricks from moving so I don't know that frustrated me but I think that would have been a great um I think that also would have been super obvious but I think that would have been a great like turn from it not being Jonathan because you're always like waiting for the friend to come out to be the one who's betrayed betrayed our like protagonist and that just wasn't the case in the end we see she actually ends up helping, which those zoom ins on her face and those moments where we're seeing her and those scenes make a lot of sense in episode six, just because of how it was set up where Grace reaches out to her and like, and they go on their walk and she's like, I need you to help me with something, but they don't tell us what it is. So it makes sense in episode six. Before that, none of it doesn't really make sense and they, it never really pays off. And it's kind of like, it was more so leading to misdirection. And then of course, the other third scenario is that it actually was Jonathan because like whoever they blame first they're always generally usually a suspect all the way through to the end and it usually ends up being them or ends up being someone else so those were always the only three scenarios that I had the entire time watching this I think that the great thing that this show did was that it kept people hooked and because Grace as our protagonist our unreliable protagonist was the person whose perspective perspective we saw the show through the most. It created even more so for the viewer, this confusion and um, mystery around who actually did it. And so therefore, because you're questioning 
grace. You're also questioning yourself as a viewer as to who the possible um, killer could be because every time you think you know who it is, they switch it up on you, which I think speaks to the writing in this and the direction of this entire series because you're always in a steady a steady state of questioning yourself. I think for me, I knew that it wasn't Henry. As soon as we got to episode, because I told you I only had three possible scenarios the entire time, um, I was holding out that it was Sylvia because I was like, that would be, I just want these suits to pay off because I don't understand why they're, they're laying these nuggets here if we're not going to pay off with it. So while I had those three scenarios, I was hoping that it was going to end up being, um, Sylvia just because to me that would have made sense and that would have been a, bi a bigger payoff, um, personally. And we'll get into that when we talk about Jonathan, but, um, one, I knew it wasn't Henry, even though he was always a possible, like, option. Because, one, he's 12. What 12-year-old, 12 unless we're watching, like, Hey Arnold, what 12-year-old is traipsing around New York City at that time of night to commit a horrific murder, which Elena was bludgeoned, like, r ridiculously bludgeoned um, with whatever that thing is. The, like big steel hammer I don't know the technical word for it but she was essentially bludgeoned unrecognizably so that's why I was like I don't think it could be Henry just based off of that alone but also when um Grace finds the murder weapon in his little violin case or whatever the instrument is then I was like we we're only I think we we're only on episode the end of episode four or no the end of episode Five. It was in episode five because it's all happened in the finale. I told you when it's so short, it's like, when was it? <laughs> um, then I was like, okay, it's definitely not Henry. Uh, and also like when we talk about murders and how, because you guys know I also watch a lot of true crime. And we talk about how the murder was um, done. Like she was beaten unrecognizable, unrecognizably that it had to be someone who was intimate with her. Or a woman because her face was horrifically beaten and destroyed and she was unrecognizable. So it was either done from someone from a heart of, or even not a heart, from a posture of passion or a posture of jealousy. So that's why also it's kind of like it couldn't have been Henry because why? Unless he's just, we're going to say Henry is a psychopath or we're going to go down that route. You guys know how I feel about <laughs> crazy kids. And Henry just, even though he did get a little more aggressive towards the end of the season, but he still just was not giving me that vibe that he could, that he could, um, perform a like murder to that degree. And then also I was like, well then maybe it was, uh, what was the husband's name? Fernando. But I was like, now, that is even more obvious. If you want to talk about obvious, while Jonathan was definitely obvious, Fernando would have been even more so obvious, but then also would have been from posture of jealousy. So then that would have made sense. But then also because it was her face, I just could not see it being him because like that's the mother of his child, even though uh, the baby girl wasn't his. I don't know. I just... 
it just, I was like, I just knew it was not Fernando this entire time. I knew it was not Grace this entire time because Grace was just <laughs> the whole time, like, <laughs> walking around like she had no clue. And I was just like, I just don't think that she would have been able to have done it herself just based off of her actions and the way that she reacted to things. So that's why I was like, okay, whatever. So Henry, although he was one of my possible three solutions, I knew it was most likely not him. So therefore it's either Jonathan or Sylvia. That it was Jonathan, I could see because this show, a lot of people were super hooked into it and they were like, who did it? People were making guesses because like I said, that was just kind of the atmosphere and how the storytelling and the acting and the direction pulls you into the show that it made you question yourself. And so people were like, well, I think so-and-so did it or I think this person did it. So it was a lot of people just heavily invested into who the actual murder murderer was and the fact that it was Jonathan again I told you guys it's only three possible solutions in this particular scenario and it makes sense that was Jonathan and if you go back to an earlier episode I can't remember who was saying it or who was um discussing it. I want to say it was Grace and possibly possibly when she went to the hospital um when because she didn't know that he had lost his job or he wasn't working because he had been lying and she went and talked to the other doctor and I want to say it was that conversation where he was saying like you know people in these types of positions they are always looking for um to kind of get like I don't want to say a hero complex because I feel like I'm, it could be that kind of what but like a god complex in a way where they feel like they always need that like attention and they live for that attention I was like, okay, so like we're making a case for this to be Jonathan immediately. He also comes off very manipulative uh, throughout the entire season from the first episode all the way to the very end. He comes off super manipulative. Of course, like those layers are pulled back even more so the further we go into the season. But even earlier on, I keep going back to the to the scene or introduced to the family initially in there in the kitchen and Grace is making breakfast for Henry. He's about to go to school. And then um, Jonathan's talking about he's about to go to work. And, like even that whole dynamic and that conversation between him and uh, Henry seemed a little manipulative. So he is, has always been there. Even when he shows up at their little uh, beach house, when uh, they can't find him and he comes up behind her and is like, don't scream and trying to explain himself essentially. And, and everyone's like, why did you run? And like, it makes sense the explanation that he gives to the point where you're like, oh, that makes sense, but no, you still did it. But then you start to question yourself about if he actually did it because if you are the um, lover of someone who turns up dead, Nine out of ten, you're the main suspect. <laughs> and then you ran away to add on top of that. So that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so I thought that he was super manipulative the entire time. And then that whole last scene where he takes Henry. And this just speaks to like, when I say the acting was so good, like Hugh Grant and um, Noah Jupe in that car scene. It's just, you could feel the intensity as they got closer and closer to the uh, 
to the bridge. And then when that truck came, I was like, I know they're not going to kill him right now. But even still, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get hit by the truck. And then that whole thing where um, he's about to jump off the bridge. And then Henry goes after him and is like crying. It's like, don't do it. It's like, oh my gosh, that scene was so emotional. Mind you, like I told you guys, this is my, this is my thing. So I don't really have a very emotional moment while watching this, but that whole sequence was emotional. And then even Cole Kidman, even though it was like, you know, whatever, but even her like running to go, to go, um, get Henry. And then even so I was like, some of these scenes that did frustrate me was like the flashback scenes. Um, when she's in, I think she was in a helicopter or no, it was while she was running towards Henry and they're doing like all these flashback scenes of her talking to Henry, pretty much setting it up like Henry's about to die. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. It's kind of like that same misdirection as far as like some of the scenes go that they did with Sylvia, where it's just like, but why did we do this? And the fact that Henry doesn't die, then I'm like, those scenes were not necessary. Were you trying to add to the emotion? I don't think you needed to add to that emotional element for the viewer because everything is already so heightened um, as you're watching this and you're already so emotionally invested that you don't need the additional layer of those scenes there if Henry is not about to die. So I don't know what was <laughs> the thinking on why to include those moments, but to me, it kind of pulled, at least me personally, it pulled me out of like the emotional state that was that I was in a little bit because I was like, I know they're not about to kill Henry. So like, what is the point of this? But I don't know. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> you may have thought differently. But uh, yeah, what else? I feel like there were so many things that happened throughout this entire thing that was just like one thing that it does say or one thing that it does speak to is that. Uh, listen to your parents <laughs> when your parents tell you to do something or they feel some type of way about someone and they're like, I don't think that, that, um, that's a good, that's a good relationship for you. You should listen to them because at the end of the day, they seem to genuinely turn out to be right. And her father this entire time was like, no, 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 no. And Grace was still, even when you were like, first of all, I'm sorry. And I told you guys, I'm set up differently than most people. So a lot of these things I just could not even do or deal with or um, be okay with. But if I'm living my life, first of all, I don't know how you don't know that your spouse is not no longer employed because... <laughs> something's going on there but or also that they're not having an affair because let some random woman show up I don't know it was a lot of things I was just like Grace girl what's going on and then Grace is supposed to be a psychiatrist <laughs> like but um like I was saying let some let someone end up dead like a female end up dead and come to find out my husband was have an affair with her. <laughs> Talk about showing up at court and having put on a strong front. No way, no how. You going to jail. In a day, I don't have anything to say. So I think that's why that whole final scene where 
I thought it was obvious what she was doing when she got on the stage. When or when she got on the stage, when she asked, um, what was the lawyer's name? Because I didn't write it down. I think I'm gonna keep looking for her name. But when she initially asked, um, the asked for them to put her on the stand to testify to, uh, I think her name's Haley, yeah. To testify to, on Jonathan's behalf and like to speak to his character and all that stuff. I was just like, this entire time you have been questioning him, you have been asking yourself if he's capable of murder. And now all of a sudden, the way she asked it to me just seemed like it came out of nowhere and seemed super suspect. And so there I would have been like, Haley as the lawyer, I would have been like, mm. And I felt like she was like that a little bit, but Jonathan was like, yes, yes, like put her on, put her on. He was just so super excited about it because I think he just wanted to hear her say that she didn't believe that he was capable of murder. But to me, that was a red flag where I was like, Grace girl, what are you doing? And then um, when she got on, the stay on the why do I keep calling the stage when she got on the stand and started asking answering the questions and the way she was answering the questions because um Haley asked the questions first and the way she was answering those questions it was like uh it was like okay I feel like she's about to throw him under the bus and then when um the prosecutor came up and started asking those questions. I was like, uh, she is about to run him over <laughs> with the bus. And that is essentially what happened. And I think that's why it's such a great, I think for a lot of people, I think that why that is such a great moment or a great payoff moment is because you finally, because you knew, you, we as the viewers knew Jonathan was not shit the entire time. And finally, in this moment, it's confirmation that Grace realizes how much of a not shit person <laughs> Jonathan is. And it all it took was for him to even consider or put out the thought that Henry was capable of bludgeoning someone to death the way that Elena was, or even just the fact that Henry could even kill anyone. And I think that was a turning point for her. And the fact, and it's so frustrating because you see her father's like, Jonathan ain't shit. And you see Henry, even Henry's like, my daddy ain't shit. But still, <laughs> Grace is just like not clicking until that moment where the one thing that matters the most to her outside of everything is Henry. And that moment where Jonathan was just willing to throw him under the bus, she finally was like, okay, no. And so then to see that whole thing play out and to see um, Sylvia finally get used for something <laughs> because <laughs> they kept trying to act like she was there for a reason and she kept trying to throw hints out there that never paid off. But then finally they get to use her in the final, in the last episode. So like, I was like, as soon as the prosecutor came up and she started answering them questions, I was like, oh, nah, he going to jail. He going to jail, jail. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so I was expecting him also to die on the bridge. Like either if he didn't jump, they were going to like shoot him. 
So it was interesting to see, I think, that, you know, as emotional and high oct octane, or I don't even know the word um, to use, but how uh, adrenaline, that's not a word, <laughs> how much adrenaline you felt watching that scene for it to just end with him essentially getting arrested. I was like, oh, okay. So I think that was kind of like spoke to that whole wrap up and like the quick downfall from that super high moment that you're at when we're at the bridge where everything is just super, super um, high and intense and emotional. And then it just all of a sudden wraps up so quickly and just deflates so quickly. I think that speaks to this entire season because everything was just so intense and so high and you're like questioning yourself and you're like, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. And you're super engaged. And then when you finally realize what it is, even the whole car ride as they're like starting to reveal what actually happened and you're like, I mean, yeah, duh, duh was Jonathan. <laughs> this is kind of like me personally, I felt a little disappointed because I really wanted it to be. I really did not want it to be Jonathan. I wanted it to be, at least be Sylvia, because I felt like that would have been a little more exciting just because of how um, level-headed she seemed to play throughout the entire season. So I thought that would have been interesting. But, I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> That's how it ended. And, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I didn't really talk about uh, the detective Detective uh, Mendoza, played by Edgar Ramirez. I thought he was super intense this entire time. I had issues with him immediately because I did not agree with, I don't know, I've never had to be questioned by the police or detective, so I don't know how they do it in the real world. I can tell you what I've seen based off like watching true crime TV and seeing recordings of um, interrogations. But he just came out super intense. The questioning was super intense, especially the way that he was questioning Grace. And also it frustrated me because I was like, Grace girl, all that money and you just willingly and voluntarily and voluntarily going in to be questioned without a lawyer. And you can clearly see, at least to me, it seems like he's trying to tie you to this in some way or tie someone in your family to this in some way. So why are you consistently talking to him freely without a lawyer? That frustrated me, but I just thought he was super aggressive from the get-go. That was questioning was super aggressive. Uh, again, had it been me, <laughs> would have played out differently, but that's why this is a TV show and it's all fiction. So I'm trying to think if I forgot anything else. I also said the kid, Oh, the kid, what's his name? Miguel, when he got questioned, that was a super like emotional thing to have to watch the kid, uh, watch him get questioned. But also having the kids in, so now that whole note that I wrote down that I was like, I don't even remember why I wrote this down, but now it's coming back to me. This is why I write those one-off notes. <laughs> so I wrote down children in the courtroom because of the nature of this case, because it was a um, the person who is, on trial is was her lover um I just don't know if I would personally have my kids in the courtroom I mean I get each side trying to have the child there on each side for like sympathy from the jury and all that other stuff like I get that but 
they were super, especially when the when the um, trial first started, super descriptive and all this other stuff. And we're talking about children. Like, I don't want my 12-year-old kid sitting in there. At least I, if I'm his mom, sitting there, I have to listen to his cheating-ass daddy <laughs> and hear the details of his affair with this woman that he murdered. Like, I don't know. That's just me. But that's neither here nor there. Um, there was one other thing that I thought of that I didn't even write down but I don't know it's escaping me I feel like I've talked about this for long enough um but yeah this was a limited series six episodes one season do we need a season two no we do not need a season two I don't even want to hear talks of a season two like Big Little Lies where we got a season two and we did not need a season two and after watching season two we for sure did not need that season two this is the case where we just let it live, let it be. I think the first season was great. I think that there was a lot of good work that came out of this, <laughs> despite all of my little um, one-off issues. But let's just leave it, let it rest, let it go to sleep, and let's move on to the next project. We do not need to rekindle this. Um, and I, I just don't uh, have... Oh my gosh, I literally, okay, because you know IMDb that have like related news. So clearly I was not the only one who thought that it could be like Sylvia as a possible uh, suspect because I guess on Pop Sugar they had an article that was like FYI the novelist behind The Undoing had her eye on Sylvia too. So like it wasn't just me. They completely were just misdirecting her throughout this entire thing for no reason. <laughs> it was just like, why? So I guess... Sylvia could be super obvious too. But anyway, so yeah, that's all I have to say. Let's just let it be season one and let it rest in peace. And yeah, I don't want to hear anything about season two of The Undoing. Because I honestly, what is there left to tell? Yeah, there are some things that just were not ever answered, but I don't think it's enough to warrant another season. And that's just me. So I am going to leave it at that. I want to know what you guys thought of The Undoing. Who did you think it was initially? Were you satisfied with how everything played out? Let me know. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode. That's the end of the episode. Thanks for sticking through it to the end. Be sure to follow me on all the social media platforms at currentlybinging on Instagram and at currentbinge on Twitter. Also, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, and I'll talk to you in the next one.